So there's an old story about a Russian rabbi who had lost his sense of purpose in life. And so one night he decided to just walk through the city streets, just aimlessly wandering his city, questioning uh, the meaning of life, questioning his faith in God, questioning his very existence. And he was so lost in his own misery that he stumbled into a Russian military compound that was off limits to civilians. And the sharp voice of a Russian soldier jolted him out of his stupor. And the soldier yelled at him, who are you? And what are you doing here? Excuse me, replied the rabbi. And the soldier shouted again, who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi thought for a minute about those two questions. And then he quietly asked the soldier so as to not provoke him, Sir, how much do you get paid every day? What does that have to do with you, the soldier asked. And a slow smile spread across the rabbi's face, and he said to this Russian soldier, I will match your salary if you will ask me those same two questions every day for the rest of my life, who are you and what are you doing here? Do you know the answer to those two questions? Do I? Because see, if I don't know the answer to the questions, who am I and what am I doing here, I will probably live a pretty aimless life and you will too. Jesus knew who he was and what he was doing here. He knew his yes. And, and that drove everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did. He lived an incredibly intentional life, and he calls his followers to do the same. And that's why we've spent the last five weeks, this is the end of this particular series this morning, in this series about knowing your yes. And if you've not heard the four teachings before me, I would go online and listen to them because I think together it creates a powerful source of encouragement to each one of us, all meant to drive us toward being able, some of us, you know, because we've lived a little bit longer, more able than others, to answer those questions or to start to answer those questions. Who am I? And what am I doing here? And so this morning, I want to end this series by talking about what it means to live with healthy boundaries. And I want to use this image this morning of this flame and this lantern to talk about that. The Apostle Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10, he describes followers of Jesus and he says, you know what? We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpieces created for good works in Christ. Jesus said, if you follow me, you are the light of the world. And so each of us has within us, and if you've heard the other teachings, you'll start to understand this, each of us has within us this inner flame this light of God inside of us, made up of our gifts, our talents, our passions, our calling, our purpose, our DNA, 
our uniqueness. And it is given to us by our creator, this inner flame, for a purpose. And I want you to think about a flame for a minute. We've got this one burning in this protective lantern, but I want you to think about fire and a flame for just a minute. It is incredibly powerful. It can burn down a forest. It can set a city on fire. It can burn down a house. I should know. I burned mine down. But it is also incredibly fragile. Is it not? Think about when you walk out into the living room with a birthday cake. What do you have to do? You have to put a little protective boundary around that flame because you know one puff of wind can blow it out. So flame needs protection. It needs appropriate, healthy protection for it to stay lit and for it to burn bright. And with the right boundaries around it, you can put a candle on a porch on the windiest of nights. And that flame will burn bright and strong. We are called by God to steward that image of God that lives within each of us. We are called to steward our own flame by giving it both the fuel and the protection it needs to keep burning bright and strong. And the kind of stewardship of that inner flame is what boundaries are all about. How do I, uniquely made in the image of God, how do you, each one of you unique, take care of this flame? What kinds of things... What kinds of people do we need to protect it from? What kinds of things and what kind of people do we allow into our lives? Who do we allow to have influence over us? Who do we allow to take up our time? To what or to whom do we say no in order to keep this flame alive? And to what or to whom do we say yes? Why is this important? Why? Is this some kind of selfish, little self-help thing going on here? What is this? I love how author Henry Cloud puts it. If you want to read any book on boundaries in any part of your life, read a book by Henry Cloud. He's kind of the guru of this topic. He said this about boundaries. He said, boundaries are about restoring freedom to you and me so that we can take control of our lives to be able to love God and to love others. Ultimately, that is the fruit of boundaries, to love out of freedom, with purpose, and with power. That is what we are here for. That is why God has given us this inner flame. First of all, so that we can live with freedom, and freedom so that we can love. Love God and love others. And when our flame is unprotected, because we don't understand what healthy boundaries are or we don't have enough of them, when that flame starts to die within us, we have a hard time with love. And I tell you what, I learned this the hard way. 25 or more years ago when Chuck and I lived in Pasadena, California, we had two little girls and I was suffering from postpartum depression and my flame was barely lit. In fact, some days I would say it had fully gone out. 
And I had to learn that saying yes to too many things, saying yes to too many people, would almost always end up snuffing out my light. And I had to learn what appropriate and healthy boundaries look like for me. I'm still learning. But I thought I would share a few of the lessons that I learned along the way with all of you this morning, and I hope they're helpful. The first one is that having healthy boundaries means knowing and keeping within the field God has assigned to you. Knowing and keeping within the field God has assigned to you. Let me tell you all a shocking secret this morning. Some of you need to hear this more than others. You know who you are or else your spouse or friends know who you are. You are human. You have limits and limitations. You cannot do it all. And you were never meant to do it all. God will never call you to that. A writer named Thomas Kelly wrote a book called A Testament of Devotion, and he wrote it in 1947, back when things were simple and easy. This is what he said. He said, the loving God puts upon each of us just a few central tasks, just a few. And I find he never guides us into an intolerable scramble of panting feverishness. That's my favorite sentence ever. He does not call us or guide us into an intolerable scramble of panting feverishness. We can't die on every cross, nor are we expected to. Can you just take a deep breath for a moment and breathe that in? See, our Protestant work ethic, you know what that is, right? It's what drives all of us all the time to never sit down. Our sin nature, this, this desire in each of us to be like God, and our bloated little egos all combine together and make us think that living an overextended life is some kind of prize. It's some kind of honor. How are you? I'm so busy, right? And if we're honest, we all think this is really the only way to live. In my mind, however, and I've again learned this the hard way, this panting feverishness and overextended life is actually simply an outcome of not really believing in grace. We still think the busier we are, the more God likes us. And for some of us, this unbelief in grace may very well be the most grievous sin in our lives right now. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, don't put the passage up yet, Lori. Um, Paul, I would just want to give you the premise. Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He's writing to these churches, mostly to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about these various divisions of labor that have been agreed upon by those uh, amongst him who are sharing the gospel, the news that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 
And they did not want to impose themselves upon each other's labor, upon the work of other people. They didn't want to um, uh, broach into the mission field of other people. So I pulled this little verse. This is what Paul writes in the midst of this little essay he's writing. He said, we, he, he means his little band of missionaries. We, however, will not boast beyond limits, but will keep within the field God has assigned to us to reach out even as far as you. We will keep within the field God has assigned to us. Now granted, this is kind of a different topic. Paul's talking about the mission field, but he knew his limits here. He knew his healthy boundaries. And I think this phrase can be really helpful to some of us. Do you know the field God has assigned to you? This is another way of asking, do you know who you are and what you're doing here? See, healthy boundaries means we are either starting to understand or we understand the field God has assigned to us, and then we keep within that field. We don't try to get all up in everybody else's field. All right? We know our field and we keep within it. And there is such freedom in this. There's such a fresh flow of oxygen to our inner flame when we start to know and understand the field God has assigned to us and we keep within it. This is where life and freedom and joy can be found. I was working on this teaching the last few weeks when the weather started to get warm. Remember that? We had like a snow and then it was 70. Remember that day? And with the nice weather, we put our porch screens on our porch and we open up the doors to our home and our dog, Stella, has the freedom to go in and out on her own. Just another picture of Stella sitting on the porch, having a moment. So she can push herself with her nose out the screen door of our screens and then she can let herself back in through this little doggy door that Chuck miraculously built right into the porch and she has an electric fence that surrounds our property it's broken because I dug into it when I was planting some flowers and she has a collar she's supposed to wear that gives her a little buzz when she gets too close but she never wears it and she's too dumb to know that the fence is broken and she doesn't have a collar on bless her little pointed head but here's the thing about this image you see she knows the field God has assigned to her. And there is just this beautiful freedom in that for this dog. She goes beyond the field God has assigned to her. What's going to happen? She's probably going to get hit by a car. But at the that's not funny. At the same time, since she knows her field, she doesn't have to cower near the front door in fear. That dog wanders that yard in great freedom and safety. Do you know the field God has assigned to you? And do you keep within it? Why or why not? Second truth about boundaries. Having healthy boundaries means listening to the only two voices that really matter. There's only two voices 
that should tell you who you are and what you're doing here. Your voice and the spirit of your creator who speaks through his spirit into your spirit. There's this passage in scripture that says deep calls to deep. That's that picture of God's voice speaking to us. Now this does not mean that we don't seek wise counsel from other people, but it does mean that we are able to quiet and manage the incessant chatter of everyone else's expectations of us. Do you know that chatter? Do you have a practice? This is probably the most serious question I ask you this morning. Do you have a practice, any kind of practice, maybe sitting quietly in the morning with your Bible open, maybe going for a walk without your earbuds in, maybe journaling, maybe talking to a trusted friend, but do you have a practice that allows the Spirit of God a chance to remind you every day who he says you are and what he says you're doing here? If you don't have some kind of practice, if we never stop, if we never listen, if we never cut out all the extraneous chatter, we will spend our lives driven along by everybody else's expectations of us. I should do that. Everybody else does that, so I better do it. My parents said I need to do that. I feel obligated, so that's why I'll do it. If I don't, who will? That's my favorite guilty one. Uh, in, when my kids were in eighth grade, one of my kids... Uh, I went to an eighth grade dance planning meeting. Now, can I just say something? Of all the human beings in the world who should not have a dance, eighth graders. I, I couldn't think of a more awkward time to throw boys and girls together and ask them to dance. But I went to this meeting because you just go to these meetings as a mom, and the principal said to this group of parents sitting there, now we need two co-chairs to, to run this eighth grade dance. And if you choose to be one of these people, it will be the primary way you can show your child that you love them. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, that's not true. And then, but that's one way of guilting people into things. Or sometimes I would get phone calls to run various things related to my kid's life in school. And I did a ton of those things. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes I would say no. And people would say, well, if you don't do it, who will? And I would think, well, then nobody will do it. And then it won't get done. And there'll be one more thing off my list and yours. So I want to teach you guys, I want to teach you guys something really quickly using this lighter as a prop. I want to teach you something called the art of the guilt-free, explanation-free no. Okay, this is how it goes. Hi, this is Alice. Hi, Alice, this is a principal of Hoover Middle School, and I'm hoping you'll run the eighth grade dance because it will show your kids how much you love them, and if you don't, who will? You know, I'm just going to have to say no to that, but thanks for asking. I hope you find someone soon. Right? That's the look of the face of the person who has just been confronted with the art of the guilt-free, explanation-free no. And you just smile. You don't wait for them to come after you again. You just say, thanks very much, have a great day, and you put your phone down. 
That's right. The art of the guilt-free, explanation-free, no. I expect you to practice that this week. But you know what? Here's the truth. I act all like that's what I do all the time. So many times I listened to the wrong voices and I found myself doing work and taking on tasks and serving on committees and doing things I was never meant to do and I hated it. And that light inside me that God put there and called upon me to steward. It began to flicker a little bit. I hadn't protected it. I did not hold firm on my boundaries. You do that enough, I do that enough, and my flame will go out. And this is the danger of not knowing which voices to listen to. Jesus always knew which voices to listen to. There's this great story in John chapter 7. I want to just read it to you and look at how he manages the incessant chatter of everybody else's expectations. This is what it says. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him, right? So if somebody's trying to kill you, don't go there. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles, so this is a big feast for the Jewish people, was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Hey, Jesus, we got an idea. Why don't you go be a big deal in Judea? For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, right? He listens to different voices. My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee, right? He listens to two voices, his voice and the voice of his father. But then look at sneaky Jesus. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret, right? He's like, I'm going to go when I'm going to go. Do you have a way of stilling the outside voices of constant expectation so that you can listen to the only two voices that really matter. If you do not have a practice, get one. Last truth, having healthy boundaries means letting people down. There's no other way around it. Having healthy boundaries means letting people down. Again, the Apostle Paul, he was writing a letter to the church at Galatia that was in a huge battle over legalism, keeping the rules to make God happy, and Paul was having none of it, and he knew he was going to have to let people down. This is how he starts that letter to the church at Galatia. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The only way 
you are going to be able to protect and to fuel this flame inside of you is to create your own healthy, appropriate boundaries. And many, many people will not like that. They love to break your boundaries. You know who these people are. They love to tell you what they think you should do. They love to tell you who they think you are. They love to get you to do things that they want you to do. Sometimes parents do this. Sometimes grandparents do this. Sometimes friends do this. Sometimes random people you don't even know are all up in your boundaries. It is just their way. And in order to protect your flame, you are going to have to learn to look those people in the eye and let them down. And frankly, here's the truth. After a few minutes, they'll go look for somebody else's boundary to break. When I first started to teach here at Orchard, almost 19 years ago, I knew, I knew that some people didn't like it. I was a woman, for Lord's sake. And I had battled my own way through that theological hurdle for myself. And I knew from my head to my toes that standing up front and talking to people about what the scriptures say about Jesus was who I am and what I was doing here. And the leaders here gave me a green light for which I will always be grateful. But there were people here who would fuss and it felt bad. I had one grandpa who missed his granddaughter's baptism because I was the teacher that day. I've had people stand up and walk out when they see it's me up here. And I knew I was letting people down, or that's how it felt. But I also knew that I was called to steward this flame. And so my strategy was, that when I felt that sense of shame, that I was doing something wrong in their eyes, that I was letting these people down, I would say to myself, sometimes I would say it out loud in my car, maybe in the, in the bathroom, I would say to myself, you know what? Someday, they're just going to have to take this one up with Jesus. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> and I wasn't being mean, you know what I mean? I understood their hurt or their, I, I understood their agony. But this was one of the ways I developed to help me protect and to fuel this flame, this little light of mine. I knew in order to keep it burning, I had to practice letting people down. And you're going to have to do it too. Do you have a practice? Do you have a way of dealing with the pain of letting people down? If not, get one. It's about understanding that God has given you this flame for a reason, and he's asking you to steward it. Because you are God's workmanship, every single one of you. You are created with this inner light for the sole purpose of good works in Christ, to love God and to love others in Jesus' name. That is who you are and what you're doing here. And it is your job to figure out because it's going to be unique for all of us. What are the appropriate and healthy boundaries you need to put around that flame in order to protect it, to protect it so that you can love? Know and keep within the field God has assigned to you. Practice listening to the only two voices that really matter. 
Practice letting other human beings down. Practice the art of the guilt-free, explanation-free no. And may this little light of mine and this little light of yours, each one of you, burn bright and strong for Jesus. Amen. God, it seems better to be frantic. It seems more spiritual to run ragged. It seems like we're honoring you more if we say yes to everything that comes across our radar. And yet Jesus didn't live that way. And it actually causes damage to our souls and damage to our ability to love. So would you teach us, God, each one of us, what it looks like to know what our flame consists of and then to do whatever we have to do to provide healthy fuel and appropriate boundaries so it can burn bright and strong for you in this dark world. Amen. I just wanted to leave you with this. And every day the world will drag you by the hand yelling, this is important, and this is important, and this is important, and you need to worry about this, and this, and this. And each day, it's up to you to yank your hand back put it on your heart and to say no this is what's important do that and let your light shine have a great weekend enjoy tomorrow see you soon